0: Just go to Indeed.com slash wire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash wire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
1: Eggman is intercepted by Sam Mills.
2: Steve oh. Smith is going to go all the way. Panthers win in overtime. Newton steps
1: up. Close for the end zone. Olson.
0: Touchdown by Moore. and in the foot race McCaffrey to the end zone. He pounded it on three, on three.
3: Welcome back to another episode of The Roar brought to you by Goodwire. Wire. I am your host Billy Marshall and as always to help break down another week of Carolina Panthers football. I'm joined by my co-host John Ellis. Mr. One Panther plays on Twitter. John, what's up?
2: What's up, Billy? Good to be back with you, man. Let's uh, let's digest an 0-2 start together. We'll get through it.
3: <laughs> yeah, it was uh, another close performance uh, against... I, I don't know how I would characterize the Giants. Um, they're not... I mean, they are a rebuilding team, which is not like the Cleveland Browns, but I would say... Like the Cleveland Browns, they have mediocre quarterback play. And this was another game where uh, Carolina should not be losing, uh, especially if they have ambitions for playoffs. And I'm not going to probably use the P word anymore because uh, (laughs) they are 0-2 and Matt Rule loses another close game. Um, This was just an ugly football game, to be honest, especially in that first half. I was watching, I mean, you, most people don't know, but I usually have like two to three games at a time. I have a pretty cool setup in my room for ever since COVID, actually um, watching games at home has been kind of like my go-to. And I just kind of have this setup here and I had the Panthers on on one of my monitors and I kept watching and I just kept looking at it. And it just, it was a consistent, and it, this is both teams, but you can kind of absolve the giants in some ways because they're rebuilding brian dables in his first year so it's whatever but we're a panthers podcast so we're going to discuss them it was just offensively i have it, it, there's like i don't know man i it's there's no creativity there's very vanilla like past concepts the quarterback isn't playing particularly well i mean he made some fine throws but it 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 was just a slop fest, and then it didn't even get be- it got better in some moments in that second half. But for the most part, it's I don't know, man. I don't know how you can watch that Baltimore and Miami game, or just some of the like high quality football that we saw, and also watch the Giants and Panthers and think that they are playing the same sport in the same league because there's just a stark difference between these um between those franchises and this one and i don't know john i know you had some macro thoughts about this that you want to get off your chest so you can respond any way you'd like
2: yeah let's just get down to the brass tacks okay because this is year three now for matt rule year i guess early year three it's not a full third year but This is when we were supposed to see the transformation. This is when we were supposed to be sold, and we were sold, uh, not only as fans but those of us in the media who cover this team, that the, the redeeming quality about Matt Rule in terms of the football side was program building, was building, developing programs. And we have chronicled sort of the circuitous path they have taken in terms of building a roster. Now, they've done some good things, and we will highlight those things throughout the show. I've got plenty of notes here that highlight positives. But it gets back to this structural issue they've had for a couple of years now, not only in terms of figuring out what they want to do at quarterback, and I'm not saying it's easy, but it shouldn't be this damn hard. It shouldn't be you know chasing your tail every offseason for the next shiny object or settling for plan C or plan D when plan A, B, C fails. But to your point that the offense it's early, I get it. It's week two. I'm not firing anybody. I'm not interested in doing that today. I can't anyway. I'm just way above our pay grade, of course, but we can certainly offer some, some numbers and some critique and then some broader views on, on what this means for the fan base. That's my biggest concern. So this team now under, under coach rule, 1-26 in 26 in games in which they allow 17 or more points. Uh, that, that is, as my brother told me, who knows more football, I think, than I do, that's expansion team level stuff right there. That, that, that is a team that no matter who's on the roster, no matter who the quarterback is, you have to find a way in games that are tight, that are low scoring, to be able to pull those out. One in 26 is outrageous. You look back at their last 17 games, Billy, and that's the sample size we use because 17 games obviously is a full season. They're three and 14. Their average margin of defeat in those games now, 12 and a half points, 14 losses, average margin of defeat, 12 and a half points. Now, Matt Rule did say we're getting closer. And look, technically they are. They're close in these games. But then you look at the record they've had in terms of game-winning drives. He's over. He he has not won a game as a head coach here when the team has had an opportunity to push the ball down the field in a game-winning situation, and it happened again this week against the New York Giants. It happened last week against Cleveland when they did go down and take the lead. But once again, it's complimentary football. Here's the bigger picture for me. I can spit numbers out all day and I can, you know, scream fire rule and all this. It's not something I'm interested in doing. The fan base is at an all-time apathetic low. You see it on social media. You see it on the message boards. You see it when you talk to people. And again, I I, I get people all the time telling me, "Well, Twitter's not real life. Okay, fair enough. I talk to Panthers fans every day. I care immensely. About this franchise. I care immensely about their heritage. About their history. I grew up loving this team. And, and I've had to shift my focus lately. Strategically so. On becoming more objective. But I've got three kids at home. And they love this team. And they could care less right now Billy. They could care less. Because as you mentioned. It's not just the fact they're losing. That's some bad football we saw on Sunday. That's bad sloppy they big really the opening kickoff they fumble it i mean you know we talk all season long all off season about being prepared being at the top of your game coming into this season out of the gate with a schedule that's manageable and you're doing things like allowing just gap scheme runs right up your ass against the browns just getting gashed left and right you got Burns in coverage, 15 snaps for whatever ungodly reason against the Giants. When he had two sacks and, and four tackles and a couple of TFLs. And, and, and just offensively, to your point, there's just no, there's no pre-snap misdirection. There's no motion. There's no angles. There's you, you know what I'm talking about Bill. You see this with McDaniel's offense. You talk about this all the time with, with, with Shanahan, McDaniel, these guys who run and McVeigh as well. They run a lot of motion concepts to to build angles in the blocking game. Yeah. And it's just so frustrating to see they had this time all offseason to install their system, to install their identity. And what is their identity? I don't know. All I know is they're losing games, and they can't stop losing games. And it's frustrating on behalf of fans out there to see this. It's depressing, and it's apathetic. And it's a big week for Matt Rule because you're coming home into a homestand here three in a row. You you better damn well start winning some games. And and I'm not saying that because, oh, David Tepper's going to fire you. I have no idea what the owner's thinking here. I could care less. It's time to start winning games and getting the fan interest back in because right now all it is is clowning the coach, memes on Twitter, memes on message boards, people screwing around, laughing at this and that. It's a shit show. And it's time for, for these players' sake, some of whom have a lot of responsibility and accountability to these losses, but many of whom deserve a lot better than how they're being coached and managed right now, time for this team to start winning games. I'm sorry. And that that's that's on behalf of the fans. And I'll I'll leave it at that. It's frustrating.
3: And I think one thing you can take away from the players' point of view is that you've seen some players who are in this system or have been part of this franchise go on to different organizations and you're seeing them shine. I think the best example of that is probably Russell Douglas. Um, You know, he was a veteran minimum guy when they signed him in 2020 and he, he looked fine. He he was a pretty competent NFL corner. And then he goes to green Bay and he really excels for them in their system. And then he gets rewarded with a pretty nice contract this off season. And I mean, we're not going to, Obviously, we know Hassan Redick is talented in, in his own rights, but um, yeah. But there are other guys that this organization had the opportunity to keep, and they didn't. James Bradbury, Graham Gano, Trey Turner, yeah. Um,
2: and, and so so many moves. These so many a litany, a litany of moves they've made that had just made no sense to me, and yeah. never day one. And I kept the people kept telling me, John, be patient, be patient, and I've been patient. And I'm going to feel like it's fine. I'm detached. But on behalf of fans who are just so apathetic right now, it frustrates me so much because people talk to me as if, who are you? You're a bandwagon fan. No, I'm not. I've been doing this since 1990 friggin' five. So I know what good football looks like right now. And this is just brutally honest. If you disagree with it, please at one Panther place, hit me up this is the most bleak stretch of football and energy in franchise history over the last three years. The most bleak stretch, even worse than Seifert. Seifert had them playoff ready his first year, at least you can say that. So it's there's the emotional side of it. I'll get out of the way here. We'll talk football now. No,
3: no, that's uh, a very welcome perspective that you brought. And I just want to conclude with that. I'm not going to go over what moves Matt Rule didn't make or did make. I, I just want the attention to be on how the football is being played right now. And I can tell you, I mean, you faced the Giants with Daniel Jones. And again, all due respect to Brian Dable and Wing Martindale, these are two excellent coaches, okay? I'm not taking anything away from them. But that is not a talented Giants team. And I was watching the game, and I even tweeted it, John, How do you think Wink Martindale's defense would be playing if they had Kayvon Thibodeau and Aziz Ojalari play, and they had better talent in their secondary? They're doing this without their top two edge rushers of of probably, arguably the worst secondary in the NFL, according... I mean, Xavier McKinney is a good player, as you guys heard uh, from our guests last week, but this is not a talented defense. And for them to just... I don't know this passing offense, and I get it. there were drops too. They have to own it. Chai Smith, he didn't cover himself in glory this past week, but unfortunately, drops are part of the equation. You have to rebound from them, and they just could not do it. They're putting themselves into huge holes, uh second and long, third and long, and it in part of me, yeah, it's I don't necessarily put it all on Mayfield, and it's not. It's difficult for any quarterback. I don't care how good you are when you're putting yourself in those situations. You have to be better on first and second down. You have to give him an opportunity on third down if you are in that position to make it more manageable. And they're not doing that. And so for me, I we mentioned this all off season, John. We said, how is this dynamic going to be struck between Matt Rule, a coach who fired Joe Brady because he wasn't running the ball enough? He was citing, you know, we got to run this amount of times, and then he comes back.
2: 33 times exactly
3: and then he comes back last week and says he can throw the ball to win which i don't disagree with but it's just the marriage between mcadoo and rule never seemed quite complete to me there's just um i don't sense any tension between them i'm sure they're good again i don't have any insider knowledge on what those two are going through i can just tell based on each of those two guys their philosophies there was going to be some issues offensively. And I'm not I don't again, I don't think there's any issues between them. I'm just telling you that oh. when, you, when you put a coach who has made it very publicly known and and it's not just him. I mean Greg Cosell has told you this too, that he wants to run the ball with the offensive coordinator who hasn't coordinated in a few years who likes to pass the ball, it's just not going to work. And again, my my final point on all this is McAdoo obviously has to do a better job, but this is who Ben McAdoo is. He's not going to turn into one of these hot shot offensive coordinators that you really wanted at the end of last year when Jake Glazer made that report. He's not going to turn back the clock. He is a guy who's very old school and traditional in his thinking. And, you know, I I know a lot of people like to give Mike McCarthy grief, but he doesn't call the plays in Dallas. It's Kellen Moore. Yeah. Kellen Moore isn't perfect by any stretch, but he at least, looks for matchups. He does pre-snap motion. He does play action. None of that is happening here with Ben McAdoo. And I'm not sure he has anyone on staff to really rectify that issue. Um, and again, I'm not going to relitigate the Joe Brady discourse. But to me, in the modern NFL, you have to look for advantages in every single sense of the word offensively. And that means pre-snap motion. That means play action. That means creating angles in the run game. That's how Mayfield was successful with the Browns in 2020, with Stefanski calling the plays. And if you're going to play to your QB strengths, you got to, I don't care what QB you are, honestly, even if you're Josh Allen or Mahomes, you need these type of advantages to really help your offense. And they're just not doing that. And obviously, it's it's not leading to any type of production oh, in the air or on the ground. Well, yeah, I will say right. on the ground, they, they were fine this week, but.
2: Fine. Yeah, and McCaffrey ripped off a long one. And they're, they're, I think the, the interior portion of this offensive line has actually done a good job. I mean, you, you look at PFF as sort of a first stop, you see the grades, and then you go to the tape and you, you kind of confirm. And yeah, I looked at the tape too. And I, I thought Christensen at left guard, Corbett at right guard, and, and Elf Line at center, they, they've all been very good together. Now, he's going to struggle. We know that. And it's it's a little bit troubling against you mentioned the two premier edge rushers for New York not in that game you saw Wink dialing up a little bit of you know zone dogs tough and some edge heat with some safeties and I thought McKinney did a great job on McCaffrey in the past I mean they they had some guys now for New York kind of step it up a little bit and and play to a higher level that's just good coaching and credit the players there But, you know, look, there's been some talk and some conversation on Twitter, and I respect the guys that do it, but I I can't speak to it because I don't know it to be true, that there's been strife between some of the coaching staff hires and and some of the coordinators, and I have nothing to back that up. But it doesn't mean it's not true. But it is interesting, Billy. It's one thing I didn't spend enough time on probably thinking about, and you raised a good point about McAdoo. They have a lot of new guys in important positions right now. You've got Phil Snow, who runs some unconventional stuff as a defensive coordinator, and Steve Wilkes on that staff, who's been a D.C., who's been a head coach, who carries a lot of weight. And and you've got Al Holcomb there, who's more of an NFL-structured guy. Offensively, James Campen is new to this for Carolina. He's getting to know these guys, even Chris Tabor. So that probably takes a little bit of time when you get into live bullet season here, so to speak, in regular season play to have everybody in sync on the same page. It is concerning. Uh, you know, again, I know these are close losses and I know Ron Rivera third year started one and three and, and they just exploded. It just doesn't feel like this team has no, that right
3: now. No, 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 It
2: does not that you knew those losses early, like Buffalo. That was, that was a really bad coverage breakdown on EJ Manuel's touchdown pass. They throttled the hell that season out of the New York giants. And then they go on the road, to Arizona, get their ass kicked. And then, They start putting together their identity, which is we're going to be hard up in the paint. We're going to pound you with Tolbert, Stewart, Newton. We're going to run play action, deep shots off of that, hit the seams. Billy, they're not throwing anything in between the numbers right now. Nothing. Nothing's being challenged there. It's tough. It's tough to watch. It's bad football. And uh, Which is,
3: I mean, let's stick on that middle of the field point, which is kind of interesting because a lot of people – Raise their eyebrows when they gave Ian Thomas that contract, but he's been pretty decent to start the year.
2: Yeah, he's been all right. He's yeah, been in the blocking game, too. I mean, he's made some good blocks, and he's when he gets his hands on the ball, we know Ian can run, we know he's got talent. Um, I'm but just, you know, that Cleveland game yeah. they hit a couple seams, they hit a couple breakdowns there, but like in general, the Giants game it was all outside the numbers and it was ugly, especially in the third and fourth quarter.
3: Um, yeah, again, we're not going to speak to unconfirmed. Reports, um, especially yeah. if it's not coming from uh, one of the major outlets who cover the team, whether that's a Joe Person, a Steve Reed, a Scott Fowler, Ellis yeah. Williams, and uh, quickly, Nick Carboni. I'm,
2: I'm, I'm not, I'm not, not just quickly, but I'm not knocking the people who put that out there. I, I'm not. I don't want to get any guff on Twitter, and if I do, you know, whatever. But this is to me, my my principle is: if I talk to people around the league, and I can't get, oh yeah, you know, there's something to that. I'm not running with it. So take it for what you will. I just think it's interesting that this team right now, the, the bigger picture is they're losing way too many games. They're not executing in, in critical situations, which, by the way, an opening kickoff is pretty critical. You can't just put the ball on the damn ground. And then you put it on the ground again later. I know he was out of bounds, but, you know, these are little things that can just cost you big. They, they lost by three points, and New York gets those three points on that first possession off a of fumble kickoff. Little damn things you can't do to be a championship-caliber team, let alone a playoff-caliber team.
3: And, again, that's a difference between a team that's well-coached and a team that isn't because the Giants, they didn't win. Well, they made some plays, but I don't necessarily think they did anything crazy to win that game. They're just so well-coached. They don't make those mistakes. Now, obviously, Daniel Jones nearly threw a pick uh, to Levu at the end of the half, but after that play, Brian Dayball was like, you know what? We're going to set up shop. We're going to uh, close out the half. Or we're just going to go into halftime score tied at six. We're not going to do anything else crazy here and get ourselves into trouble. And I, I don't know what Brian Dable is going to be as an NFL head coach. I just know that he's been around the NFL for a long time. He's coached under yeah. Belichick and Sean McDermott and he coached under Saban at Alabama that he knows how to properly, he knows how to run an NFL team. And yeah, he I'm confident that The Giants are in good hands moving forward. But uh, with this organization, it's just it's too much of the same. And for everyone comparing it to Ron Rivera in 2013, let's just remind you that they lost to the team. The week one, they lost to the team that will win the Super Bowl, the Seattle Seahawks. And week two was an extremely fluky loss to the Bills, where it it, it just – nothing – about that ending makes any sense and you 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 see fluky losses happen you saw it in Baltimore you saw it in Cleveland uh you nearly saw it in LA with the Falcons nearly coming back um so that stuff happens but uh, to me none of these necessarily these losses and it, it's it can be explained by anything other than just poor execution and poor coaching and game management and i don't necessarily have an issue with Matt rules game management uh, this season. It's been fine. I think that was the issue the previous years. Um, uh, But the other thing to remember, John, is this: is the 2012 Panthers? They finished on a four-game winning streak. Yes, thank you. So they finished seven and nine. They came and they had a more importantly, they had a quarterback who played in the same system for three for three or four years. I understand there's some differences between Chudzinski and Shula. I get it, but it was for the most part a pretty similar offensive system and they, they weren't necessarily churning things left and right. And then obviously they went on that crazy streak in 2013 and they made the, they won the uh, NFC South. So I don't really see many differences between them. Uh Rivera, like you said, uh, we're not going to relitigate anything about his tenure, but the,
2: no, uh, but, but first- it's really, Quickly, it's 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 really important to point this out though, just to give it its proper context. It, it, it and I've never seen the fan base so galvanized. And it's a negative, you know. You don't want to see people get fired. I'm not in that business of like, oh, let's fire a guy. It's, you want to win and you want to see everybody happy. But the even look at like the, the the analytics, the EPA stuff, offense and defense. The the last chunk of the season, like from week 12 on, with Ron Rivera in his first two years, w- was really good. They, they were, and they gave you, it wasn't just that, it was the wins. They got wins late in those seasons, and pretty convincing wins. And it gave you hope as a fan. Like, it got your attention. Like, okay, you're going to take your lumps. We get that. There's going to be some losses. But like that back stretch of 2012, they were playing as good as any team down the stretch during that time. They beat Atlanta at home, who was the one seed at that point. Those are monumentally important when you're trying to, quote, build your program, quote, build your culture. And you're not seeing that. It's like my sons, again, who love this team, Billy, it's so apathetic. It's like they it's just every week it's predictable. You turn it on, whether it's a close game, whether it's going to be a blowout, there's no sense that, okay, this team is moving in a direction where you can get excited about turning that TV on at 1 p.m. on Sundays. And that's a major problem this owner's going to have to face up to because, you know, revenue sharing being what it is, the the soccer team is doing great. That's fine. But the football product is as stagnant as I've seen it in the 27 years I've been covering and cheering for this team. And that's a major issue. They're going to have to get that fixed, whether it's with rule or without him.
3: Yeah, um, I totally agree. Let's move to the defense. And I, I got to give it to these guys. I understand there were some issues and we'll get to them about dropping Brian Burns in the coverage. But Uh, The big emphasis this week was stopping Saquon Barkley and the the Giants run game. Barkley obviously had a fantastic game in week one where he was a featured runner, and the Panthers, obviously, they gave up a ton, over 200 yards of rushing to the Cleveland Browns. So uh, you figured coming into this week, this is going to be a major talking point, and you had to assume that the Giants would have uh, a major strategic edge in this department but i think the run defense does deserve credit here for limiting barkley to 3.4 yards a carry and it wasn't just on um, 10 or 12 carries those 21 carries and um over time that gets pretty deflating for an offense because you're not really moving the ball as well as you'd like um so let's just start there that the run defense was a key coming into this game and i think that uh, they responded
2: Oh, absolutely. I mean, this is where last night, you know, I, we, we put up film and, and, and we have a few laughs. And you know, I, I tweet to people at One Panther Place, hey, look, if you can't laugh along, just don't follow the account. Because when, when you've lost, what, 14 of 17 games dating back to last year, you got to stay sane. you got to laugh a little. I think most coaches of the right mind would be of that mindset, too, to keep it light. Um, in the first half of that game, eight carries, zero yards for the Giants. Frankie LeVu had seven tackles, three for a loss. He had a pass defense. Obviously, he dropped an interception. I mean, that was a tough play. But the, the takeaways, we'll talk about that, I'm sure, at some point in the show. they got to start getting those. But the run defense was outstanding. They got gassed a little bit at times the second half. But, no, overall, I was real pleased with, with the contributions of LeVu. I thought, you know, Burns in the run game was pretty solid. Xavier Woods as a run support safety has been really good. I like that. Uh, the the force defenders were good in the run game. Dante, you know, he's, obviously he's hurt right now. We hope he plays Sunday. But he had a nice little run stop on the perimeter there. And then Marquand McCall gets in. Uh, Bravian Roy has is, is been mentioned today on Twitter. is going to miss some time now. I thought McCall had some nice plays, some big-time plays late in that game. Tackle for loss, four tackles in his NFL debut. So, again, some things to be very optimistic about defensively. As you're facing the home run hitter in Barkley, at any moment, that was what Phil Snow had talked about throughout the week, that the one thing you worry about, he's not like Nick Chubb, and he's going to ground and pound you for 30 times and 200 yards. Is There's a chance that Barkley can go Barry Sanders on your ass any moment. His longest run of the day was 16 yards. So, I mean, that was a pretty damn good job by their defense overall, holding him to three and a half yards per carry. Giants finished with 33 carries, 103 yards. 21 of which were Daniel Jones. So again, good job for uh, the run defense there, no doubt.
3: Yeah, and and again, you've posted some clips, Brian Burns, Derek Brown. I think they both responded. I know there's been some discussion, especially about the latter. Uh, Derek Brown's performance in week one probably wasn't to the standard, but I don't necessarily blame it all on him. I just don't think he's a type of nose tackle to really hold up, um, you know, two, too gapping and holding up against the run in that regard. But right. what did you make of Brown's kind of redemption here in week two?
2: Yeah, I thought he looked good on tape, Billy. He was active. Uh, you saw him at times, you know, out of the pocket in pursuit doing some things too. He finished with four combined tackles. He got a hit on the quarterback and he graded out. Well, when you look at the tape in the run game, he was, you know, used him at nose a little bit. He was at three technique. That's kind of what they do with him. And they, you know, Phil had run some of those odd fronts throughout the game and th- there were some three down line packages and you have Burns in coverage. And I, look, I'm not going to go nuts on that. The defense played well enough to win this game. but well, I thought Brown had a much better uh, week this week. I-, I thought the defensive tackles in particular. I and I just had a great sack there. And Burns hit, you know, assisted on that with some uh, really good bend around that left tackle. Uh, Marcus Haynes, you know, did some good things there in the passing game. He doesn't get a lot of snaps, but when he's on the field in like third and seven plus, he, he's a guy to look out for. So I, I thought defensively, you know, between, you know, the defensive tackles and your edge guys, uh, you know, YGM played a little better, I thought, in this game. There was good energy out there. I mean, I, you like to see it. Um, linebackers, fair enough. I mean, they were fine. They, they They filled their gaps with more integrity this week, but I think it really started with Lavu getting in there and kind of wrecking things early on in the first half and set the tempo. And then, you know, throughout the course of the game, the, the entire defensive front, even when Roy went out, I thought McCall came in and played well, but no, you no know, hats off to, to Derek Brownie; He looked much better this week.
3: Yeah. And, and if I were to pick a stock rising for this week, it, it would definitely have to go to the run defense just simply because yeah. I'm not sure it could be as low as it could last week. <laughs> right. Um, But this week, they certainly responded in a big way. And in a way that really, that's the sort of improvement you're looking for. And we see that improvement on defense. Uh, And I thought J.C. Horn also had a pretty decent game. Again, he's not necessarily going up against world beaters. But I think this was a good game for him just to get his feet wet in some regards. You're not going to necessarily see the uh, blue chip alpha wide receiver, but uh, it just gives him more reps more snaps to get fully comfortable so when he is up against uh, a really good wide receiver whether it's this week against Michael Thomas and Jarvis Landry uh, it just continues to allow his progression to fully come back from his injury Um, do you have a stock rising you want to mention
2: yeah stock rising I, I would say if you if you want to look at you know sort of the defense as a whole the run defense was better and again I, I go back to two guys in particular uh, Marquand McCall again his NFL debut getting in there with several tackles had a tackle for loss I thought that was encouraging I love his size I love his ability to challenge there and, and I think Burns you know I, I I a lot of people you know and I know he went sackless week one it's not easy to get a multi-sack game in this league. It's not. And he did affect the, the quarterback a couple of times. He had four quarterback hits in the game. He had a pair of tackle for losses in the run game. His utilization, look, that's between him and the coach. They'll work that out, I'm sure. But I thought for the number of times he was lined up in a traditional pass rush or, or setting the edge type of position where he's not in coverage, again, he was in coverage 15 times. That's a career high for him, according to PFF. I'd say, you know, Burns, the, the, the people are saying, you know, he, he, he kind of bit on Daniel Jones one or two times and miscontained. Yeah, that'll happen. Clean that up. But, no, multi-sack game is always worth pointing out. They had three sacks on the day. Uh, and Ioannidis, let's mention him, too. I, I thought, you know, overall, uh, in terms of disrupting the pass, did a pretty good job. So there's a there's a trio right there for you.
3: Yeah, absolutely. Stock falling for me has gotta be Ben McAdoo. It it, it he, he has to get better. And I don't know what he can dive into in his deep trick of plays, but something has to improve offensively. And I think the schematic design and implementation part of it, whether it's pre-snap motion, uh, play action, um, you know, scheming receivers open. He has to do a better job to help us quarterback, okay. Baker Mayfield is not a quarterback that's just going to drop back five to seven steps, scan a defense, and then throw a receiver open. That's just not his game, And that's uh, we can have a discussion about whether that should be his game, but that's not the point. they They should play to the quarterback's strengths, okay. And for a quarterback that thrives on greeting, the field and ripping it he can make all the throws I have no issue with that and he doesn't necessarily put the ball in harm's way like Darnold does but it's just about playing to his strengths and giving him options uh, that really help his vision and I think he can read the field um, acceptable I mean certainly he's not perfect at it uh, but Ben McAdoo's got to be better because right now I just don't feel like he's playing to his QB strengths and unfortunately it's hindering the offense as a whole.
2: Dovetailing off that stock falling aren't necessarily people or, or things, but, but just a general area, two areas offensively, is red zone efficiency, one of four. That's terrible. you got to be better than that. You mentioned how many guys the Giants were missing in critical spots. Even one of their premier defensive tackles went out of the game late. You've got to be able to convert in the red zone, especially against a team that, you know, look, Wink Martindale's very good at what he does, but Carolina needs to be better there. Um, and then the, the utilization of wide receivers, you know, Ben McAdoo had talked about this after the week one loss, they need more at bats, he used the baseball analogy. And I agree. They didn't have a lot of plays and you don't really have an opportunity to get certain guys into a rhythm, but my God, Billy, Rashard Higgins was brought here from Cleveland, uh, chiefly among other reasons, you know, you, you've got some great built-in chemistry with Mayfield. They've connected 10 times on touchdowns in their career. He had a very good camp. He had a pretty good preseason. And then Terrace Marshall Jr. These guys have combined for six snaps in two games. Higgins hasn't had a snap all season. So I get that they want to really concentrate on this 11 personnel and shy Smith as their option in the slot. But he had some drops, as you mentioned. So, again, at what point do you wake up in the middle of the game and say, you know what, it's time to start utilizing Higgins, maybe Marshall a little more than they did. Mar- Marshall had two – Route reps. He had four pass blocking reps in this game. That to me is unacceptable. You talk about drafting developing guys. I'm all for Shy Smith, but get a little power in the slot there. I mean, you know, mix it up a little bit. You, they don't have a lot of size at receiver. You've got two guys there with pretty good size, especially Marshall. Hell, it can't get much worse in the red zone. Let's see what else they can do. So that's where my stock falling is. Just utilize your wide receiver personnel better. It sounds like Matt Rule's is going to try to make a commitment to doing that. Although, after the game, he said, We don't need to change anything. He came back and said, Well, perhaps we look at changing things. And, you know, give him the benefit of the doubt, at least he kind of reconsidered. But I'll believe it when I see it. We got to start seeing better production in the red zone. And I want to see more of Marshall and more Higgins.
3: Yeah. And before we do sign off, again, some interesting quotes from Matt Rule. Um, which you know, if you're struggling like he is, uh, the people not only on Twitter but across the national media, they're gonna pick up on it and they're gonna analyze it. That's just fair game. It is what it is. Uh, people have done that with struggling coaches until the NFL existed. So for me, I'm I'm just not gonna participate in this firing and hiring, coaching cycle like i just want to focus on the product on the field like you said i'm not firing anyone i just these are nfl coaches and they have to step up and that's just the biggest thing okay again i want to see improvements from ben mcadoo to really elevate this offense and help this qb i want to see matt Rule continue to figure out a way to win these close games or else i'm not sure like his employment status is going to eventually catch up to him because i do think the owner or somebody is going to you know put in a word with him that hey you're not winning enough games but yeah. for us it, it's and i i get it like the fan base is just um, they're tired of losing and i don't blame them and they should have these discussions and they should be able to vent however they like um but for me i'm just so tired of arguing about whether this coach should be fired and whatever personal opinion you or I have on that. I just don't want to continue to litigate it on every episode that we do. It's just, it gets tiring and I'm sure there's other analysis that if it does eventually happen, we'll be able to dissect it and do an overview of why he got fired. Or if he turns this around, then we can give an overview and a, full analysis on the decisions that he made that helped him turn this organization around. Um, But for now, just focus on the saints. They're coming off a loss too. figure out a way to get your team ready for Sunday. Let's hope the offense improves and the defense maintains its level from last week. And we'll move forward from there. But that's just where I am. I know you had similar thoughts too.
2: Yeah, totally. Look, it, it it's counterproductive. Uh, and, and look, there were times last year where, you know, for shits and giggles and, you know, <laughs> the whole it's not just that. Look, we, for you and I have said our piece about what we feel in terms of this structure. But you you've got major players in the NFL media ecosystem out there zoning in on some of the things that are happening here and really understanding, wow, OK, it's not just what you say, it's what you put out there on the field. And it's, it's a bad combination of the two. The product is not good and the commentary and the messaging has, has not been, you know, as great as it can be. But I can't fire anybody. I don't know what the owner wants to do. It's none of my business. So to your point, yeah, the focus this year has been much more on let's just dive into the tape. That's a good sanctuary when things are bad and even good to kind of get into the meat of what's going on. We have enough acumen to understand what we're looking at here and and give our perspective on this very show, which now we're into year three. It's hard to believe that. But I'm tired of this Groundhog Day routine of just, okay, the clown emojis and all. Look, great. Go for it. Fans, I understand. You know, Jim Donovan up in Cleveland, who's been a longtime media member there, put out a commentary on social. Go find it. I think Nick Wilson up there, our old friend that that works in Cleveland radio used to be in Charlotte, tweeted it out. And he went on a rant about, you know, people, I think Miles Garrett, among others, saying you shouldn't be booing us. Well, that's bullshit. I mean, this is the NFL. It's a high stakes business. Everybody's being paid, at least on the top tier of things, players and coaches, a ton of money to produce results, including this head coach and. You know, I, I am not going to engage in like just cheap shots on anybody from this organization, but it's time to start winning games. It's time to stop talking about it. It's time to start doing it. Dom Capers, who look, he had some bad years here, too. But one of the things I love, he had a great quote. He said, deeds, not words. And it's time to, to pay up. <laughs> it's time to pay the piper, Billy. Time to win. Uh, we can talk about development and growth. The great teams you see it with Philadelphia right now. You've seen it with Buffalo. They draft the quarterback, they develop the quarterback, they add pieces around the quarterback, and they thrive. And then eventually they re up that contract for that quarterback. This team has played Russian roulette at quarterback, trying to find somebody to duct tape this thing together. And I like Mayfield in a lot of ways, but is that sustainable? I don't know. But don't you know? Don't jump down fans' throats for being upset. I mean, that's the one thing I will say, and and to echo your point, it's going to be a more productive type of perspective from me and you both this year in terms of just, Hey, let's just look at the players. Let's focus on that. Let's look at the tape. Let's break this shit down and, and, and just sort of simulate how we would do things if we were in that chair. We're not, we never will be. We get that folks, but that's the, that's the culture we built on this show. I guess you could say so well said, my friend, I like it.
3: Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it's it, a lo- there's still a lot of football left. Like I said, there's still a chance that uh, things can turn around. It begins here with this three game homestand with the Saints, uh, who didn't really look particularly impressive offensively last week, and then the Cardinals, who had to uh, use some Kyler magic to come back, and then the 49ers, who are going through a quarterback change, which some people think it benefits them. But at the same time, these are three games that you have to figure out a way to win. You had two easy games to begin the year. You going to win them. Fair enough. Matt Rule said in his presser that they started zero and two in two thousand twenty, and then they won three in a row. So yep. let's see you back that up because this is a good opportunity in front of your home fans uh, to really, you know, start stacking some wins. So we will have a preview pod later on this week with the guest from. Uh, the New Orleans Saints perspective. But for tonight, that's going to be it. Uh, John, any final parting thoughts?
2: Hang in there. Hang in there. That's all I can tell you, folks. Hang in there.
3: Okay, everyone. Thank you, and uh, we'll see you next time.